Hello, ladies and gentlemen, dozens of all ages. Welcome to another edition of One Day Closer to Dead. I am Dave Beaudry. And I am Jason Bailey. And Jason, how the hell are you? I'm doing pretty good tonight. Um, had a wonderful day with our great friend to the podcast, John Collins. He visited today, and uh, we tooled around Lexington a little bit, and he brought me a brand new copy. I know you can see it. Our listeners are just going to have to imagine the preacher behind the white hoods preacher behind the white hoods a critical examination of william branham and his message by john collins fresh off the presses sign me a copy fantastic book uh, i've already read a lot of it online but uh, to have a physical copy physical media in your hand uh, it's it's pretty fucking cool so congratulations to to john and uh looking forward to reading it and uh hopefully you guys can check it out too but we had a great day and um yeah it was just him playing with hot wheels and he-man with uh james and myself mainly myself while james just you know shook his head and in complete disapproval of what a child i am uh but yeah we had we had a pretty good time my friend how about you what's going on with you well, that's fantastic, and I mean, that looks like a very thick book. Like That it looks is. like the type of book that you would take in the ring to use as like a foreign object on somebody. <laughs> I mean, we might just have to do that. That's great publicity. What's right? he got in his head, JR? Oh, it looked like he got that preacher behind the White Hoods book. Now he going to get an ass whooping with that for sure. He's about to teach him through osmosis. Booyah. So how you did, buddy? That's a damn good line. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I feel like absolute horseshit, but nevertheless, another day, another dollar, Jason, and not much more than that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, now we got that out of the way, folks. I just want to say thank you for listening out there, all you wonderful dozens. As always, want to go through some cities that listened to us heavily last week, and that's Los Angeles, California, coming in number one. Louisville, Kentucky, Tampa, Florida, Wichita, Kansas. And of course, we have great listenership in Atlanta, Georgia, Newark, New Jersey, Dallas, Texas, Houston, Texas, San Jose, California, Seattle, Washington, and Kansas City, both Missouri and Kansas. Thank you very much, guys, for listening. We certainly appreciate it. If uh, you heard your hometown, hey, that one's for you. And then uh, internationally, Bradford, England, still heavy listenership, Madrid, Spain, Singapore, and Dave, we have two newcomers, I believe, to our international community of dozens, uh, Zurich, Switzerland, and Turin, Italy. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening to our inane bullshit. Uh, and we, we love having you as part of the dozens, and it just keeps growing, this disease called One Day Closer to Dead. So, yeah, thank you very much for listening. We certainly do appreciate it, guys. Well, I had a little bit of a, a glitch on my end, Jason. It might have been a thing with Skype or whatever, but um, you know, just for a second, I'm sure the audio must have cut out. Uh, where where was Detroit in that list? Detroit it was, is it not have been on in that the top three, fucking right? list. No, Detroit's uh, Detroit's not there, bud. And what? I just wish that you never told them that's where you were born. That's where Dave Beaudry was hatched, ladies and gentlemen. And thank you, thank you for that little bit of trivia, a little bit of tweeva on uh, Dave Beaudry's part because Detroit just went, oh, fucking you. You know what's interesting, though, because you're also really RoboCop's biggest fan, too. You're such a fucking mark for RoboCop. I can't believe that they didn't just, you know, tune in to hear you mark out about that. Well, um, little experiment, Jason. I don't know if the dozens know this. I'm sure you're aware. Um, actually, the Detroit is not the place of my birth. I spent some time there as a child, but actually my... Uh, oh, don't my, my don't place say of Los Angeles, please. My place of origin is actually uh, 
Paris, France. I don't know if anyone ever knew oh. that. Oh my God. Well, there went Paris. Fucking great, Dave. Fucking great. You could, couldn't you have picked like Toledo? We love you, Toledo. But I mean, couldn't you have picked like something like that? But you're, you're actually picking Paris, France, one of our number one most listened to cities. Now they're not going to listen to us anymore. God damn it. I uh, had a stop off in Kansas City as well. So before all listenership discontinues here on us, I also wanted to say thank you for the feedback last week, Dave. They really were entertained by um, our Ghostbusters talk and our wrestling uh, conversation. The Ghostbusters Afterlife review that you uh, you gave and also that we read about uh, from the mighty Joe Baca uh, really got a pop. And a lot of people out there like that um, kind of angle you took uh, some people I think had seen Ghostbusters Afterlife and some people were going to see it. But that whole spin where you kind of said, you know, either way, if you're going to walk in as Jason Bailey and, and the, the things that you're not going to like about it, you, you're not going to fucking like the whole it's Stranger Things is Ghostbusters. But if you walk in with the idea of, you know, having an open mind and, you know, it, it, and you're the things that you want to like about the film, you are going to like. People love that remark. They really did. And um, even Mighty Joe Baca came back and said, that pretty much fucking summed it up, really. So, you know, kudos to you, because that was sort of the line of the night as far as your review went, that you are you are going to pretty much, whatever you think it's going to be for you is sort of like this, you know, looking mirror, this looking glass that you're going to get right out of it, what, what you thought you were going to put in with uh, with what you wanted from it. Well, basically, the point that I was making was that Jason Bailey is wrong, and uh, I'm glad that got such a pop and that the dozens are so strongly in agreement. I mean, how could they not be? Uh, it's kind of hard not to not to see that viewpoint at this point. But um, yes, Jason, I, I would like to, to reiterate that, that yes, it's just simply that your viewpoint is wrong. Well, I, my viewpoint is I just wanted to listen to a good review. Thank God Joey provided one. So oh, uh, wow. we also wanted oh, to wow. say that, uh, so petty. Oh, you know, so petty, so petty. please, uh, fuck you. And I want to let you know also that they, they really enjoyed the trivia on the Ghostbusters bass riff. That was pretty interesting. And what really got a pop, what, what got a response from the crowd was our wrestling segment, which, hey, Dave and I are wrestling marks and a lot of you guys out there became, you know, wrestling fans because of this show. And at first, you know, years ago, when we talked, when we started talking wrestling, um, we would just throw shit out there. Like you should check this out. You should check that out. This match, that fucking pay-per-view, this fucking thing. And I just threw it out there. And I think Dave did too. Is like, yeah, maybe they'll look it up. Maybe they won't big fucking deal. It's always the Cracker Jack prize at the end of the box here. And, uh, boy, this one did Dave people contacted us to where can I watch that fucking ending in Halloween Havoc 1997 because <laughs> the way that that you know it was we kind of described it and talked about it apparently was so fucking entertaining that people had to track that fucker down well of course I've got it on some some DVD here in here in my home but uh, for all of you guys out there who are interested in in seeing um, the mega powers heal, version of the mega powers this time beat up a uh, 20 year old 150 pound idiot in a cage uh you can of course find that on this website called daily motion and i'll tell you something daily motion is sort of this bastardized not talked about 
kind of YouTube channel that it is not YouTube. So well, it doesn't lot get of, copy struck as much. That's no, why it's useful. That's right. It doesn't get copy struck. It's and so you can find a lot of wrestling material on this that you cannot find on on YouTube uh, either because you know. Viacom is trying to shut things down or WWE or fucking whoever is in charge of all this, this shit. But on daily motion, all you have to do is type into their search engine, you know, Piper versus Hogan, Halloween havoc. And it breaks it up into three separate parts, you know, beginning, middle and end. And of course, I think you should watch the whole match because that was really, in my opinion, Piper and Hogan's last real thing where Piper was in ring condition and, uh, of course, in part three, you get to see the fiasco that we described in detail uh, in the show. But I'm telling you, Dave, we got a lot of people saying, where can I fucking find this? Because I can't find it on YouTube. I said, just give me a just give me a few minutes. I'll be able to find it. And I sent it back out to people like, hey, it's on Daily Motion. So uh, at any rate, thank you very much. And I'm glad you guys got a, uh, a kick out of our conversing about... Fucking wrestling fans in interacting uh, inappropriately in in every way. So anyway, that was really cool, and that was some of our uh, our feedback from from last week, Dave. Well, we will definitely have something for the dozens to look up uh, at the end of our program today, and I don't mean that actually as a shameless self promotion because I know sometimes I might tend to do that, but actually, no, that was not where I was going with this. Uh, our wrestling topic this week, Jason, is something that we will get to, but I definitely. Uh, will encourage the dozens once we get there that it's something that they need to see and it will be something very easy for them to uh to look up because uh on the contrary it's something that is very heavily pushed on youtube at the moment but uh again we will get there one last question on the feedback before we get into the business of the week of which there is much uh on the ghostbusters afterlife feedback that we received did any of the feedback come from people that had seen the movie and did they have any kind of agreements disagreements of their own no, I, I think a vast majority of the feedback we got was for people who hadn't seen it at that at that particular okay. time. So I think in this upcoming week, we might even get more feedback from people who saw it. But there, cool. there does there does seem to still be a hesitancy in going to the movie theater. And, well, and especially and for, right now, we've got yeah. a new Transformers version of fucking COVID, which I'm sure we will have to talk about in upcoming weeks, but that is yeah. not today. Well, the thing is that that's that's really what it's about and uh of course our dozens beat me to the punch on it. They're already calling it Unicron. So the Unicron variant will be what it's known here for the dozens. We did the Delta Blues, we did Cotton Candy, here comes Unicron to devour our fucking planet. So at any rate, thank you guys for for chiming in and if you see Afterlife, Ghostbusters Afterlife, Please contact us. Some of them did actually, because this is easy as fuck to do, did go and listen to uh, the the group, the band M's pop music and uh, oh, nice. a couple, couple of holy fucks up in there when they heard it. They're like, well, maybe maybe he should just take that cool $5 million off both of their hands and just, just ride home with it. But anyway, um, a lot of feedback for our second and third segments last week, so very interesting. And as far as Thanksgiving go... We just got a bunch of, yep, you're right, it's not really a holiday anymore at the end. So there you go. Well, shall we, be, well, before, I was going to say, shall we get down to the business of the week, of which we are about to, but before we get to the official dumpster fire, I have a couple of mini dumpsters that we uh, we might want to just throw some throw some shade at. Uh, Jason, I'll just kind of throw a, a few quick topics at you, and then we will we will move on. 
The first is uh, Chris Cuomo has been officially indefinitely suspended from uh, CNN because uh, New York Times put out a new story about just how extensively he was involved in trying to rehab his brother's image and and like do you know opposition research on women that were accusing him and the whole thing. And CNN's trying to be like, well, we didn't know it was this extreme. Motherfuckers, I have never worked a day at CNN and I knew it was this extreme. Like when this story broke, I was like, well, yeah, no shit. Like, didn't we already know all this? And the fact that they're still indefinitely suspending him as opposed to actually fucking firing his ass just tells me that they're just going to bring him back down the road again. The same thing they did with Jeffrey Tubin, who got indefinitely suspended for jacking off on a Zoom meeting. So yes. yeah, fuck CNN. Right. Like, yeah. it's any credibility that they ever had has long since been blown out the window, but I think this takes it to an all-new low. Uh, Jason, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I saw that whole thing on quote, and you're right. I was just sort of like, well, what a no shit fucking topic here. Not you bringing it up, but the fact that everyone's just going, oh, he got indefinitely suspended, blah, blah, blah. When the whole the, fucking, the, when the, the whole sorry, thing Jason, went, the, yeah, when the whole thing went down on CNN, he gave some sort of op-ed editorial uh, Chris Cuomo about, you know, well, I, you know, I, I can't, I have to kind of stay out of this because I, I'm just helping my family and blah, 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 bitch. They, somebody in, not just him, but somebody in CNN should say, okay, guess who's not covering anything involving fucking this and make sure behind the scenes, we're checking to make sure that he's not dealing with that in any capacity other than he's on the phone with his brother going, Hey, Sucks to be you. Love you. See you during Christmas. Click. I mean, that's all you can do. And it's just very weird that like, well, he's indefinitely kind of suspended, maybe, even though he's our biggest star and we love him and he'll probably be back in three months. But, you know, we're trying to optics here, folks. Optics. Well, it goes back even further than that, because even that thing about like, oh, he's my brother, I can't cover him was bullshit, because during the pandemic, when Cuomo, when Andrew Cuomo, I need to specify which one, yeah. was had made that disastrous decision regarding the, uh, the nursing homes, which that in of itself was a bad decision, but then to cover it up was a purposeful choice. Um, you know, when all of that was going on, his brother was having him on his program every week and they were doing this positive PR thing and he was positively representing him. So to then suddenly say, well, I can't talk about him is bullshit because you had been talking about him for months on end. So the whole thing is a dumpster fire in of itself. There's just not a whole lot for us to add no, to it. It's, it's but just, I wanted it's to at least. Yeah. And I think, and to be clear, I think the new story released by the New York Times, I believe it was New York Times. I, I believe that is a valid story as well. I'm not throwing shit their way um, because they, you know, had gotten new records through, I believe, um, uh, Freedom of Information Act. But the, it's my reaction is to CNN trying to be like, we had not realized that this was the extent of blah, 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 blah. Like, that is the most transparently bullshit fucking lie that we have heard since Cuomo said he couldn't cover his brother. Like, so, I mean, fuck CNN. That's that's the that's the I, I on think that. honestly, I think you're right, Dave. And and you know, if there's a through line to a lot of what we we talk about with news coverage um, on Jason Bailey's end, at least I can just say, uh, fuck Fox News and fuck CNN. Fuck you both. And that's that's really what my stance is on both of those news organizations. I mean, quote air quotes on news, by the way. Of course, of course, yes. Uh, so that was that. Uh, and then um, there was one other thing I know I had mentioned before we went on to air, Jason, that I thought we might quickly throw uh, some shade on, but I 
I have a migraine and I'm not quite remembering. Do you remember what the other thing was, perhaps? That you were going to talk about? Yeah, or that we were going to briefly mention. Other other than the Cuomo situation, um, no. If it comes to me, I'll let you know. And, you know, I really am ashamed because I don't have migraines. I have asthma and I'm breathing just fine right now. No, you're just old. But uh, the world is a dumpster fire, Jason. I don't know if you knew that. I certainly fucking did. Did you know why? Because it truly fucking is, Dave. So, Jason, this dumpster fire came from your side of the world. Or I believe it actually. I believe you said it came from a request, right? It's just something that resonated with you. So why don't you uh, provide the the background on it, and then I will chime in as needed. All right, all right. We have have a very good new listener, um, Melissa Loy. I referenced her as Melissa L. in the past because I didn't know if this is someone that wanted her full name said, but Melissa Loy, and uh, she is a good friend of the podcast, and, uh, you know, she decided to contact us, let us know some thoughts and opinions, and wanted to know some history uh, on sort of my transition uh, from the acting universe to the restaurant hospitality universe, and, uh, you know, I thought this is a good time because, folks... If you don't know, I'm going to let you know tonight, uh, the restaurant industry is a dumpster fire. It really, truly fucking is. So I just thought I'd throw a brief history of what happened with me to get into this um, this thing called the restaurant and hospitality industry and where we are with it, where it's going, and how it's uh, it really has all gone to hell and what we have to look forward to, which is... Uh, Quite bizarre, Dave. So that's sort of where this comes from. And thank you, Melissa Loy, for contacting us and being one of the faithful dozens. We do appreciate it. Absolutely. And Jason, I I do have to ask, was it a transition per se? Because I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that a good chunk of your time in L.A. while you were actively pursuing the entertainment industry was also spent at the same time doing you know restaurant work and hospitality and whatnot. So was it so much... Um, replacing one for the other? Or was it just kind of more focusing on other things while continuing to do the other? Like, how would you describe that? It, I'd say that it was uh, probably about three gear shifts into okay. it. And so it was gradual. But, you know, for all the listeners out there who a lot of you guys know my history by now, because some people actually asked for like Dave and myself and possibly have heard of Commander Cody and some people who are in the, uh, or had been in the acting universe. And we have great friends of the podcast who still are, you know, I'd say highly successful actors that listen to us. Uh, and I'm, I'm appreciative for their feedback and things like that. But we've always, it's weird because I've always had one foot in the acting entertainment universe, filmmaking and things of that nature. And I've always had, really a solid foot in the hospitality and restaurant industry and they go fucking hand in hand. They really do. And when I was in LA and, you know, trying to strike it as an actor or a filmmaker, whatever the fuck I was trying to do at the time, you know, it's a cliche, but it's pretty true in Los Angeles back particularly back in the nineties. Uh, when I went out there is that every fucking server 
that you had or a bartender, anyone in that hospitality universe on that level uh, was either an actor, dancer, singer, songwriter, butcher, baker, candlestick maker trying to make it in Los Angeles. And every single one of us had a, you know, a script or two or at least a treatment and synopsis we had come up with for us to star in all uh, Sylvester Stallone. So we we really did have a, a lot of that going on in the 90s. I can't really speak about it right now. When I left, it seemed like there was a lot of that too, but certainly not as much as in the 90s. The 90s were just, I think it, Dave hit it out of the ballpark when we did three vaccinated amigos uh, when he said, you know, you really were sort of the last of that kind of actor who got the black and white headshots, peddled your shit, mailed it to fucking agents or managers, whatever. And he's right because shortly after five, 10 years later, it was all digital. It was all color. It was all different. But when I, when I was doing it, that's still how it worked. The same way that worked in the seventies and the eighties is that you were a server because you had Liberty with your schedule for auditions or what, what have you during the day. And then you'd go work at night, your hospitality job. But what happens to a lot of actors in Los Angeles, and it certainly happened to me, is that you start really getting sucked into the hospitality universe. You like little by little by little, particularly if you're not making it as an actor. And by making it, what I mean is you're not able to pay your fucking bills. I'm not talking about being Harrison Ford type success overnight, which is something I never looked, I never even thought of anyway. I just thought, wouldn't it be nice if I could pay my fucking rent, pay my fucking bills as an actor with an acting paycheck. Wouldn't that just be tight as fuck? Okay. Well, even, wasn't, even Harrison Ford wasn't a Harrison Ford success huh. overnight. That's why he had to be working carpentry when the star Wars yeah. audition came about. Right. But I mean, for pe- what I'm trying to say is that level of fucking stardom that people no, think about, you know, and I'm trying, and I'm not talking to the actors out there. You guys know what I'm fucking talking about. I'm talking to the people that act like, you know, Melissa Loy is sort of, uh, very uh, interested in this this aspect of how did you how do people go from acting entertainment into restaurant uh, hospitality universe? So um, what I did is I started serving, and restaurants got into bigger restaurants, into better jobs, and blah blah blah. And eventually, I landed the Super Bowl of fucking serving, in my opinion. Uh, it was the Cheesecake Factory in Pasadena, California. The same Cheesecake Factory that in the fictional universe of Big Bang Theory that hot blonde chick works in. And, but it was that was where she said she worked. She wasn't wearing the same uniform. And by the way, Cheesecake Factory didn't give a fuck. They thought, hey, it's free publicity. Good on us. But that's where I worked. And it's on the corner of Colorado and Fair Oaks, I believe. And uh, at the time, there wasn't a lot of Cheesecake Factories there okay uh in i'm what i mean in is in los angeles california now there's right. one off every exit of the 134 there's a fucking cheesecake factory <clears throat> but at the time if you want to eat at cheesecake factory and you lived in glendale burbank pasadena arcadia area uh your ass had to go to old town pasadena to eat there that was the only fucking cheesecake factory so when i got that job and that took me years after working with you know olive garden and chilies and, and a lot of little place i consider little um i finally got that job and holy shit did things turn around financially for me in los angeles i went from not making that much money at all to every night walking with fucking money okay and i mean it was hand over fist cash 
I was working about seven and a half hours a night, which was a longer shift for a server. So that's how I really got in. And after a while, the paying of bills and the survival in LA as, as rent went up and the cost of living went up in Los Angeles. And I, more than anything, I have to say rent more than gas, more than fucking food prices or milk or any of this bullshit. It was fucking rent. Rental prices just started going through the fucking roof. And unless you started making shit tons of money or you figured out some rent control loophole or you knew somebody who knew somebody it was or you had to move in with five roommates or some shit you it really became a struggle and i i don't know i there was something in me is like fuck this noise and i really doubled down as a server in the restaurant universe and at that time after i worked for the cheesecake factory for about two to three years uh, I was approached by managers uh, and they were doing an internal recruiting, which wasn't done very often because they didn't think that staff members made very good managers at all. And they said, listen, you're already the shift lead. You're already the, one of the head trainers. Um, have you thought about management? Because you seem really good at telling people what to do and they follow you and do it. And you seem to have a natural leadership quality. Have you ever thought about that? Well, honestly, I never had. I thought, mm, no, that doesn't sound like any kind of career arc thing I want to do. But then living in Los Angeles, there was no acting work coming my way at all. And God knows I gave it the college try. The only thing left to do was to keep doing it for years, maybe decades. And I just don't have the fortitude that Dave Beaudry and many other people did. I remember Kike telling me one time, he goes, you want to know the reason it didn't happen for you? I said, why? He goes, because you didn't need it that bad. And I said, what? He goes, the acclaim. He goes, there's like, you just don't need the acclaim. You don't need someone patting you on the fucking back. And I'm not saying that other people do, but I definitely was so fucking done with the goddamn entertainment industry of fighting for scraps for money to pay bills that I couldn't even fucking pay even with the scrap money that I went, yeah, the restaurant industry is looking pretty goddamn good. So when they signed up the contract, I was, I was like, sounds good to me. Fucking money like this idea. Very cool. And I had struggled for so many decades that I finally just, you know, sold out and went, yeah, money's good. But I was already in the industry so long that I understood how it worked. And by the way, the hospitality universe, the restaurant universe, it really is entertainment. In the front in the front of the building, it is entertainment. I understand it very much like a play we are conducting. We are putting on a performance for you. At least this is the way it used to be. I'm not really sure how servers and hospitality workers think of it now. Maybe it's just, you know, mercenaries taking orders. I don't know. But at the time, it was a big fucking deal. Particularly, you work for Cheesecake Factory, which is the head of the goddamn hospitality universe. They're like hospitality marines. That's how it used to be. You, not just everyone could get these fucking jobs, unlike today. So the deal is that that's how I got in. For, for any questions out there like, well, what entertainment? Then you went to restaurant business. And that's where I learned all the rest, the cooking, the culinary side, the business management side. I was like going to three different kind of schools all in one hospitality universe, the business universe and the culinary universe all in one. My, that's how my career started. And then that was it. I was fucking in so and Jason, just kept doubling down. Yeah. One, one big question, because I know the dozens are wondering it and I think it's promo cutting time. So what makes it a dumpster fire, Jason? The dumpster fire is this. 
is that the restaurant industry post-cotton candy has been stripped bare with all fucking crevices exposed. Everything that was ever wrong with it before, now there's no fucking escaping, okay? There's three things I want to talk about with why it's such a shitty thing that's happening now. I'm not saying there's not good restaurants. There are good fucking restaurants out there uh, that are doing good stuff. But let me give you an item sales trend as to what's happening in the future. The first thing is, and I'm going to try to be as polite about this as I fucking can. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. Nobody wants to fucking work. Nobody wants to work. And I have already discussed this previously. Now, let me cover this from two different sides, okay? I cannot fucking stand conservatives that say, well, the government's giving people too much money. The government's giving people too much money. Why should they fucking go to work? And I can't fucking stand liberals that say, well, if you just make work more profitable and a better quality of life and you give them a lot of money and you take care of their benefits and you take care of their kids and you take care of everything, they'll they'll do these jobs. Both are fucking wrong. I'm in the front line and I can tell you both of these motherfucking options are wrong. What it's come down to is post cotton candy, we have evolved into what humans really truly believe, which is I should not be born to fucking work. I should not have to work if I'm walking this planet. I should not have to go to an employment prison of any kind, not just restaurants, but the Toyota manufacturing plants, but maybe working retail, maybe working at Walmart, wherever the fuck it is that everyone works out there, nobody wants to be there. And now they're not even fucking hiding it. The great resignation is not a temporary thing. It is humanity going, fuck this. And I'm telling you that if you paid restaurant workers 150 grand a year with full medical benefits, full childcare, and you fucking kiss their ass all day, that would buy you about two months of their fucking time. And I'm on the front lines. So everyone out there saying, oh no, if you just make the restaurant blah, 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 flippity, flappity, flip, bitch, how many fucking tables have you bust, asshole? I can tell you for me, it's so many I don't even know. I've eaten so much dog shit, I enjoy the fucking taste at this point. That's the kind of work I've put into the restaurant industry. So I feel I'm pretty goddamn qualified to talk about it. And I can tell you, this shit has come to a motherfucking end, okay? So the workers don't want to be there. We can't find fucking workers to be there. And I'm telling you, it's because they don't want to work. I didn't break out the lazy word. I'm saying they don't want to work. That's one. Okay. So we are definitely going to have to go to robots and I'm not even being out of the box. Crazy Jason. I've already seen it. They're coming out with hospitality robots, not robots that like sweep the fucking floor. Do they look like, like the one from Rocky four? God, I, one of them kind of does, which they should just call that that's, model the Apollo, the Apollo Creed or something like that. They should. That's call where it he went. That's Rocky. why he couldn't be in the director's cut because he was working at a restaurant now. Well, I hope so, because if they have a lot of like, I'll call one Apollo, I'll call one, you know, Mickey, I'll give them all Rocky names if they work for me. But I'm telling you, we are going to go to robotics. Polly's robots going to be on everybody's, you know, list for, for restaurants out there. Uh, number, number two uh, is definitely a, a skyrocketing cost of, of product. And that is, you know, we're talking steak. 
chicken, fish, all of the actual proteins that we cook with, that it is fucking skyrocketing. And the price for these was even going up before cotton candy hit. This is why Darden sold Red Lobster off to another company. Okay, because they could no longer sell fish at the price point they had already convinced everybody they could do. So they were like, fuck it. Even though that's our flag bearing ship, we got to get rid of it. We can't we can't fucking sell fish at this this price point anymore. Okay, so the food itself is skyrocketing in price as far as the materials to buy it. Both workers asking for more money. Okay, which, like I said, will not buy their loyalty, just like a couple months, you know, maybe that they'll work for you. And the price of the actual proteins that you're getting on your plate are going to cost so much money. That is not the only way the companies can absolve this issue or, or fucking figure this out, ascertain how to get this done is by taking that and shoving that down, that cost down to the guest. So your food prices for any entree is going the fuck up through the roof, okay? Now, if you end on on an even better note here, okay, when it all comes down to it, not to sound all demolition man, tonight I'm taking you to Taco Bell. It sort of is going to be like fucking demolition man Taco Bell who wins the Monopoly Wars. These mom and pop places or even small restaurant groups in the United States of America simply will not be able to compete. They will not because restaurants already had a small profit fucking margin. Now it's my goddamn newt. So you are going to have the only restaurants left fucking standing when this is all said and done. Okay. Because it's not going anywhere. It's only going to get worse. Is publicly traded corporate restaurants. That is it. We're talking about Cheesecake Factory, CPK, BJ's, PF Chang's, all the abbreviations out there. These are the only ones that are going to be left fucking standing because they're run like conglomerate businesses that can absolve these problems that small restaurateurs simply cannot fucking do. This is the only way forward in this industry is that if we start, if people out there are wanting to spend a billion fucking dollars to go out to a restaurant, well, you're going to get your chance because that's coming. That's one. Number two is these things called ghost kitchens that are popping up everywhere, meaning there's not going to be any more in-person, in-brick-and-mortar place restaurant that you go and eat at. It's going to be made and it's going to be delivered. It's going to be sent to wherever you are, okay? That's another way to fix this problem, I guess. And the technology that's going to be involved is going to be insane. Everyone's going to have... All restaurants are going to have to become highly, highly technological to where there's almost no humans working for them anymore. Well, the luckily, only- that has always been a strong suit of Jason Bailey, so I have no doubt that your restaurant is in the best possible hands. Thumbs I think up. so. I'm the only one who thinks outside the box like this. I was saying this two fucking years ago. Now it's coming to, to pass. It really is. You're just going to need managers or corporate people to make the big decisions and turn the fucking light off. Maybe recharge all the fucking robots. I'm not sure. But they're even going to go to robotics for cooking too. Okay? I mean scratch kitchen cooking. That's where this is getting to. Because corporations are like, let's take out the one volatile element in this equation. Humans! We're going to fucking replace the humans because we finally have hit the final generation that don't just want to, they don't want to just do this work anymore. They don't want to do any fucking work anymore. So the restaurant industry is on the chopping block 
as we fucking know it. The most interesting part about all this, Dave, because honestly, I don't know how else to put this, is for all of you out there that fought against vegetarianism, that's only eat real beef, all this other manly bullshit things that you have in your fucking mind, the only way forward to keep price points down is to do what McDonald's did about mm, 15 fucking years ago. When people ordered a McDonald's cheeseburger or let's say a quarter pound or something like that, I guess they assumed they were eating 100% beef or I don't, I don't know. Finally, when somebody made a real fucking fuss about what is in this goddamn burger, they figured out that a vast majority of it was soy. Soy protein that had been added to it. And you know what? It tasted pretty fucking good. To be honest with you, this is the only way forward. When you have these impossible burgers, impossible meat, this made-up food that tastes like the protein, it is the only way to keep the price point down. So we will be in all turning vegetarian very soon unless you're fucking rich, okay? It's part of the reason I went back to being a pescatarian. I'm lifting heavier weights now. I want good protein in my body. But honestly, fish may just be a thing of the past within the next 5 to 10 to 15 fucking years. And I'm not even making that shit up, folks. That's how different the restaurant industry is going to be. And Dave, before I throw it back to you, I have one last thing I'd like to say. For all of you people who are already ordering your favorite fucking meals from all over your town, from all over your city, I'm not going to say the names of these motherfuckers, but third-party food distributors, you know, the ones that drive up, get it for you, and bring it to you, you need to fucking stop. You need to fucking stop until the FDA takes care of this issue. They do not have food safety and sanitation cards. They're not trained in, they're not trained in food safety sanitation. They're putting your food in cars that you wouldn't, you would never even want to look in, sit in or anything else. Yet your food's going in there. And anytime that your food doesn't arrive to you, kids, I can tell you it's usually from someone who's high and decided to eat your meal as their last drive before they ended their shift and went back to whatever hellhole they came out of. I'm telling you, if you steal a phone, you steal a car, you can work for one of these motherfucking companies. And during Cotton Candy, when everyone was like, support your local restaurant, support these hardworking people by ordering through, insert the fucking name of the third-party food distributor, or I'm telling you for a fact, you didn't support your favorite goddamn restaurant at all. You supported these third-party lift food things that that start that have popped up okay and i'm telling you if your food goes missing that's the fucking problem if your food is cold that's the fucking problem if you're vomiting in the middle of the night that's your fucking problem because of this fucking issue you're buying food from places that don't have preservatives in their food because it comes from a scratch kitchen a real kitchen that you will get food poison or some other goddamn problem because it was either next to cat litter in someone's fucking car they you know the kind that needs actually disposed of or it was kept out in room temperature circumstances before it got to you or maybe they just decided to take a drink out of your goddamn malt whatever but i'm letting you know stop fucking using these things stop and that's where i'm gonna leave it the restaurant industry is a goddamn dumpster fire i'm on the front lines of it i have been for years we will figure out a way through this guarantee fucking it but it won't be with humans now i can say that for a fact too is this how skynet now begins jason not through defense but through the hospitality industry 
Well, I know that it seems weird, but maybe because, you know, Americans are fat as fuck and food's kind of a big goddamn deal to them. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, hit them where it hurts. Take a Big Mac away. You know, manipulate them however you can. But no, the hospitality industry and this universe, this has been highly affected by COVID, by cotton candy, and in ways that we are not going to bounce back from where we are going to adapt, evolve, and change. And the restaurant business and your experience in them is gone forever. Guarantee that. I think if anything, cotton candy has accelerated pre-existing trends. Um, like, I don't think anything necessarily is necessarily new per se, but I think it's accelerated things way f- at a way faster rate than what we would have seen in a pre-cotton candy world. Would you say that's accurate or no? Well, I would say that that's how you're putting it is a very big understatement. You are right. As I began the segment, there were crevices that you could see there's a fucking problem here. Right. And, and I used to say all the time, I said this in late 2019 before I even knew that cotton candy was going to bite us in the fucking ass. I used to say to fellow minded genius restaurant tour fucking people, we are doing something that is unsustainable even then. And I didn't just mean killing cows and and getting their corpses made into however you wanted it to on your fucking plate. Because when people talk about sustainability, this is sort of what they're talking about, okay? I meant this is non-sustainable in in an employment fashion, in a food fashion, in any kind of fucking fashion. What we're doing in the restaurant industry in 2019, where money was just hand over motherfucking fist, was unsustainable. It's It's not sustainable in any fucking capacity. And I just fucking knew it. Just the way, just the model of the restaurant industry, Dave, is fucked up. The servers in the front, if a server's not pulling between $100 to $200 per shift, it's considered a fucking waste of their goddamn time, okay? The cooks in the back, the actual culinary team in the back that's making your fucking food, the amount that they get fucking paid compared to servers is a fucking joke. It's a fucking joke. And we actually have in the restaurant business of sort of this decorum where you really fucking stamp out any conversation that servers are having about how much money they're fucking making that night in front of cooks because it's a fucking insult. It's a fucking disgrace. And well, I'll any- draw, I'm sorry, Jason, but I'll draw, I'll bring this back to a parallel you made at the start of this conversation was that you were saying that, um, you know, it's uh, the restaurant industry is almost like a, a play. I will go further and say like very much like film production where like the servers are possibly like the, you know, in front of the camera people. And then the, the cooks are the, the crew that are actually making everything possible and are very frequently underpaid compared to their more visible counterparts. Would you agree or disagree? Absolutely. I, and what's what's bizarre about it, though, Dave, is that there are laws, actual labor laws that you cannot dictate uh, in certain states and I believe certain cities how tips are distributed. OK, the tipping part of the restaurant universe, this needs to fucking change. Goddamn too. Because the thing is, there are certain like the French Laundry, a uh, very famous restaurant. Uh, they came up with the idea like all tips are going to be pooled, but not just pooled with front of the house. It's going to be pulled with the heart of the house too. the culinary team, the cooks. OK, and and the people who work there make such good fucking money that I, I think they were just happy to be working for the French Laundry. OK, but for a lot of restaurants out there, you pull that shit. 
Your server's going to be like, suck a dick and fucking leave. Then you ain't got no servers. Bringing me back to the fucking point that eventually corporation, conglomerate restaurant companies like, enough of this shit. Enough of this shit. Let's remove the human being from the front of the house. And I guarantee you, this has been elevated because all you really have to do is put, you know, I know this sounds crazy what I'm getting ready to say, but put, you know, a billion dollar investment at the front of this motherfucker, which is why these conglomerate restaurants will be the only ones left, you know, all of fucking Taco Bell demolition, man. And then they're good to go. Then they're good to go. All these people who have to sustain themselves, all the restaurants with people. No, no, they're not going to be able to do it. The ones that can't afford this cutting edge designer beef that's coming out. No, forget it. Forget it. So the, for how we eat at restaurants is going to change the experience. The business model is going to change. And what you're fucking consuming is going to change. Jason, where can the dozens send us feedback on uh, the things that we have just discussed? We can always reach us where this uh, wonderful Melissa Loy reached us at. And that is our working, wonderful email address known as Ask Dave and Jason at protonmail.com because, well, god damn it, fuck you, Dr. Cosby. And uh, during that initial segment, Jason, I did remember the other thing I was going to briefly mention. Uh, so I will bring it up now, and that is uh, Alec Baldwin has now said that he did not pull the trigger on that gun that uh, shot and killed the cinematographer. Apparently, he's there's a he did a long sit down interview and they released a clip of it. So the full interview hasn't uh, hasn't aired yet. So I don't want to judge too harshly without the full context. Uh, and certainly neither one of us were there. But um, I am finding that claim mildly difficult to believe, as he is saying he would never, you know, take a, a prop firearm and point it and pull the trigger on it and blah, blah, blah. Well, you were holding it, sir. I'm just going to throw that out there. And um you were a producer on the set where a live, you know, actual real bullet got put into it. I'm just going to throw that out. And again, I don't doubt that he feels legitimately horribly about that. I don't, I, I don't want to undersell that. But I, I do think um, there is more of a concern about public relations right now than, than actually getting to the bottom of what happened and how. It's all about trying to shift the blame somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And now I remember why I forgot that you said that because you never told me you wanted to talk about that. No, I did. I didn't say what the issue was. I said I wanted to say something on the Baldwin thing and you nodded and said, okay, cool. Oh, then I just I didn't tell you. I, I must have been doing what I do every time you talk. Yeah, probably. Hey, keep, so, keep your yeah. hands up above the desk, Jason. Jesus no, Christ. no, please. I, I, I want to feel like a member of CNN. Oh, God damn. It works really quick. Sometimes um, the thing is about the whole goddamn rust set. It just, I'm telling you, I know this sounds morbid, but it's me. I think that they really eventually fuck the documentary. They need to make a movie about this fiasco and all this death and destruction on rust and call it, uh, which I know this is in poor taste, but call it things in here. Don't react well to bullets. Just a little, you know, nod to Alec Baldwin's career. And that's, that's a Sean Connery nod, too. That sounds more like the name of the book that would be written about the incident. And then the movie would have some, like, focus group tested title that would be dumbed down, like, Tragedy on Set, now airing on Lifetime. 
Tumble, tumbleweeds and cinematography. Something, um, yeah. You know, some shit like that. But yeah, no, it's it, it's just, uh, I know it's terrible. It is fucking terrible. I'm not making light of how the tragedy that it is. But it's just, yeah, it's it's turned into the full-on circus we knew was coming. Now, it, here it is. It's, it's, a, it's as good as the SNL parodies that uh, we know Mr. Baldwin for in the first place here. So, And it was the circus beforehand that brought it all about to begin. Yeah, totally. We've come full circle. Yeah, totally. All right, Jason. Well, I don't know if you knew this, but childhood is dead. Yes, it certainly is. Yep, I know. Did you did you did you know why? We don't do that second part on the on the gimmick here. I don't know. I've got a migraine. Who gives a shit? Anyway, yeah. uh, Jason, what did you want to talk about tonight? <laughs> hey, folks. So anyway, we're talking about the restaurant industry and what a goddamn dumpster fire this thing is. Uh, it always it, it sort of made me. And I brought up with Dave before is hey. We should talk about sometime in the past when like we used to be taken to a restaurant when we were a kid or a mall or a store because that's, you know, th- these are happy memories for me, believe it or not. Just shopping with my grandmother or being taken to a, a nice meal or a little treat somewhere. And uh, one of the things I want to talk about from my childhood, which childhood is definitely fucking dead, is my relationship with the mighty Golden Arches McDonald's. Whether you like it or not, it's part of Americana. It is the Hulk Hogan of fast food restaurants. And oddly enough, he looks like a walking endorsement for this. And its reputation sometimes is as solid as his, too. (laughs) Absolutely. His integrity is as good as McDonald's. But at any rate, uh, and also, hey, I didn't even think I was going to talk about this, but a a very good film is The Founder. Uh, It talks about Ray Kroc. I've uh, heard that's great. It is, it is good, and the thing is that it's not what I think a lot of people thought it was going to be. And I don't want to give away any spoilers, but let's put it this way. It's not some glossed-over makes Ray Kroc look like, you know, the hero of heroes. It's a very, very good story about an opportunistic man uh, making the most of his life, and uh, yeah. That's all I'm going to say. It's much more complicated than maybe its release-type uh, promotions gave it, but you should watch it. And it's and easily Mike, Michael Keaton remains one of my favorite actors <clears throat> as well. Absolutely. He it's easily available on like 18 streaming services out there free. So I would definitely recommend you seeing it. But when I was a kid growing up in Pittsburgh, Kansas, we used to have a uh, McDonald's. We only had about 20,000 people in our fucking town, but McDonald's was uh, definitely in every fucking place you ever visited in this country, uh, particularly in the late 70s, early 80s. And we had one that North Broadway, north part of town. And of course, I was always taken there as a kid. And I'm telling you, it works. The whole image, Ronald McDonald, Fry Guys, McDonald Land. I mean, it wasn't Disneyland, but for poor, white, trash, redneck, you know, type environment, it's about as close as you can get. And uh, being brought there for a happy meal after, you know, school or you're with your grandparents, whatever, was always a big fucking deal. And I just remember thinking, you know, McDonald's has had some really hits and fucking misses. And I didn't know because I'm about four or five years older than you, Dave. Right. Uh, About 10 or 15, I think. Yeah. So I probably hit some shit that I remember that you don't. But a collector's item in these 
Happy Meals and Happy Meals were fucking great. I mean, because all the kids wanted really was the toy. And I, I think, was raised on just cheeseburgers, plain cheeseburgers. Well, maybe a little bit of ketchup. I was never into fries. No pun intended, but I was never a fry guy. Never have been into fries, but I love their burgers. Okay, and the Happy Meal. And then the toy. And there are some of these toys that they came out with that were like, I think they were like... um pencil erasers but they were made up to look like robots and space aliens and shit like that well i had like all of these as a kid i don't know the mini, why the mini muppet babies are my favorite i used to love the little uh kermit muppet baby on the skateboard that is my uh defining memory of mcdonald's happy meal toys yeah well they've always had really good shit and it took me until i was older it's sort of like the ghostbusters fanboy universe I didn't just, I didn't know how deep this fucking universe went. I didn't know how insane people were until I really looked into it. It's the same thing with McDonald's. There are McDonald's fanboys. I mean, who have collected, go through eBay and collect every Happy Meal toy that ever fucking came out. But even more than that, packaging, okay? Like styrofoam packaging and shit. Like they have, they are McDonald's marks, man. And when I was growing up, I can remember the, both the, you know, Happy Meals were fantastic, but I remember, and I don't know if you do, I, I, I can't imagine you would. Do you remember when exactly they came out with chicken McNuggets? Uh, not specifically. No, before you give that answer, I have uh, a, a question and a comment and then we'll get back to that. Um, first, my, my dominant memory of Chicken McNuggets is actually, I think, around college time because it was whenever the Rugrats movie first hit theaters. I want to say it was late 90s, early 2000s. And the reason I remember this is I forget if it was McDonald's or Burger King, but they did some, like, promotion where their chicken nuggets were shaped like the Rugrats. And I was like, how <laughs> fucked up is this? It's like, yes, Genius. bite the heads off of these little children. They taste like chicken. I'm like, how did this fucking get past the goddamn boardroom? So uh, anyway, that's my deci- that's my uh, statement on that. Secondly, very quickly, Jason, just because you're talking about McDonald's as a uh, child, then earlier we talked about when you had lived in L.A., did you ever have a chance to either drive by or visit the very first ever McDonald's? Because that I've actually heard that's closing soon or has already, but that's uh, not too yeah. far from here. Yeah, the, the actual one that Ray Kroc uh, went into business with the, the, the brothers. This is what you're talking about, right? Yeah, the and Downey. first one. Yeah, and Downey. Yeah, I, I have been by. I never got anything from there or anything like Same. that. But, yeah, but I drove I have by it, and it was, in, it was like blue. It had kind of a different like color and the old school like arch logo. And like they, they hadn't really like by purposely because it was kind of its own tourist because there's not a lot to do in Downey. But um, so it's kind of its own little like tourist attraction. So they, they never really modernized it to current uh, corporate uh, standards. But yeah, uh, Downey, California, I've driven by it a bunch of times. Well, I, I'll tell you, now you brought that up, I, it brings me right back to the founder again. That restaurant is featured prominently in, in that movie. So oh, sure. I would, I, I mean, by, of course, you know, because of the history of McDonald's. But once again, I know we're getting on a McDonald's fucking kick here. You, the dozen should watch that movie. If for nothing else, whether you want to admit it or not, McDonald's is part of your childhood. It's part of the, the fabric of America, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on the way you fucking look at it. Okay. I talked briefly about them, you know, pulling the fast one on the goddamn, you know, soy, 
being introduced into all their burger patties, which is why they could sell it fo- so fucking cheap. Also, I thought it tasted better than their all beef shit. I'm not even making that up. That was pre-vegetarian. On the opposite side of things, McDonald's, everyone you everyone freaks the fuck out about their goddamn French fries. I never did. I think In and Out's the best French fries I've ever Ugh, had. Okay, I cannot I disagree more on that. <clears throat> I I do not like In and Out's French fries, but continue. Okay, I get them animal style. It's off the menu. Do it. But the thing is with McDonald's fries is people are like, what is in these? Are they crack cocaine? What the fuck are is McDonald's doing differently there? When well, they found out in about the I think around. 2000, 2001, 2002, it came out that they actually were using um, beef broth uh, inside the fries that they never, ever disclosed to vegetarians at all that there was actually a beef product as the, the broth inside the fries, which is what people were fucking freaking out about and thinking it was the greatest tasting thing they ever had. So you see how that works? McDonald's took a little bit of a cow Put it in vegetarian food. Put a little bit of vegetables up in your cow food. But at any rate, uh, McDonald's has always uh, been that kind of love-hate relationship, both with me and I think a lot of people in this country. One of the cool things I was going to say about Chicken McNuggets, that's a little bit of Tweeva. A lot of people don't know this, is that they single-handedly saved the chicken farmers of the United States of America, the chicken industry, because of Chicken McNuggets. I'm going to tell you why. This probably happened in the early 80s when McDonald's developed the Chicken McNugget, okay? And it was because the chicken industry was failing. People were not getting as much chicken as they used to in the past. But much like Camel cigarettes, there was a lot of chicken scraps and scrapings and bullshit left over from the actual, you know, killing of the chickens and, you know, cutting them up into legs and thighs. But there was a lot of, you know, flesh, still on the ground, you know, or in the machines. And it was McDonald's that sort of started coming up with this idea, like, what if we could take those scraps and compress them into something that's like the hot dog of chicken and then fry the motherfucker? So they did. And they birthed the chicken McNugget that people go fucking nuts from. Your single chicken McNugget might have 500 different parts of, 500 different chickens supplying parts for that one chicken nugget. But when you fry shit up in America and then provide a dipping sauce, you know, you can pretty much sell shit and people will buy it and think it's the greatest tasting thing ever. But chicken McNuggets turned the chicken industry around because not only was McDonald's their biggest, you know, I guess, purchaser of all chicken scraps. But on top of that, every other restaurant entity started to real and, and food group like General Mills and whatnot started to realize like we need to make chicken without the Mick nuggets and sell this shit because this is highly fucking popular with college students and five-year-olds. And uh, there you go. So a little bit of Tweeva that the Chicken McNugget actually did turn the chicken economy around in the United States of America. And of course, they still talk about it to this day like, thank God, thank God for the God Ronald McDonald and the Chicken McNugget. And it's just one of those things that's uh, part of our history that a lot of people don't talk that much about how influential the things that McDonald's does influences a lot of other shit in this country, like the supersizing of shit, which was so well covered in a documentary. It, it made everybody else in the United States of America, any other food, you know, 
group have to supersize their shit too. So, I mean, the thing is like they sort of dictate the pace of where fast food is going, or at least did for quite some many, so many years. They, they certainly were in control of that. But anyway, I just want to throw that out there for the dozens because I'm, I'm positive that you've got some McDonald's memories. I mean, McDonald's fucking birthday cake is still a lot of people as they're like in their fifties and sixties are still, that is their favorite fucking birthday cake flavor or just and it, or just generally going to yeah. a birthday party at a mcdonald's or a Burger right. king or yeah or it's a lot of people's favorite fucking memory from their goddamn childhood so and then they start putting play centers in there where you know you could get 18 different diseases you know by playing in the ball pit so they've really been ahead of the curve on a lot of stuff but uh at any rate, there you go. And I didn't know if you knew this because it was explained to me that, because uh, I, I didn't even fucking know this, that Ronald McDonald is no longer being used in much, if any, of the advertising of McDonald's because uh, test groups uh, came back time and time again this last five years that uh, clowns scare the shit out of kids and they, he should probably not be used any further. Yeah, I did know that. I forget where I had heard that or where I read it or whatever. But as you say it, it, it rang a chord. I knew I had I had heard that previously, and obviously I knew um, you know he had been noticeably absent from their marketing for uh, an extended amount of time. But uh, shall we move on to the last topic of the week, Jason? Absolutely. I can't wait for this one. All right, um, we're out of time. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so there was. Uh, well, not just a pro wrestling segment, because actually there were two pro wrestling segments. Um, one very kind of short kind of setup, and then a couple days or a week later, they followed it up with like the big kind of money promo segment. But there is a feud brewing right now in AEW that anyone, whether you're a fan of AEW, not a fan of AEW, could give a shit about AEW. If you have ever been a fan of any type of pro wrestling at any point in your life, then I would encourage you to look up this segment or these segments and see if it's something that resonates with you. This is what we were looking forward to when we first found out that CM Punk had signed with AEW, and holy shit, did it not disappoint. Uh, we just recently have seen the beginnings of interactions between CM Punk and MJ. Maxwell Jacob Friedman, the uh, massive Roddy Piper fan who's trying to steal as much of his act as he possibly can, but he does it well, so I don't say that as an insult. Um, those two had first in a, a brief interaction uh, like a week or two ago where Friedman and MJF had cut this promo saying, you, you know, he was the best, no one could touch him, blah, kind of typical, you know, heel shit. And then Punk's music hit and people lost their goddamn minds. And then Punk came out without saying a word, their eye to eye. And then MJF smiles at him and tries to introduce himself and sticks his hand out in that swarmy, like, heel way that he does. And Punk just looks at him and walked away smiling. And, you know, you could just see, and both guys are just so good at all the small little intricacies of their character and storytelling. And, like, the facial expression on that segment of, of MJF as Punk was just walking away from him, chuckling, was was just great. So then this uh, past week, they did a follow-up. I believe it was on the Rampage, uh, this past Rampage, I think, um, where Punk was came out for a match uh, against QT Marshall. And before the match could start or before Marshall could even come out, MJF comes down and interrupts, and then they went back and forth on the mic with each other for a solid 19 minutes or so, and it was great. It was fantastic. Before, I don't want to really do a play-by-play -play of it. I encourage you to look it up, but Jason, uh, what would you like to say about it? Well, I thought it was 
the best fucking Piper's Pit episode I'd ever seen in my life. Uh, it was fantastic. Both uh, these performers just did amazing work. CM Punk, MJF. I'm telling you folks, for a lot of you out there who contacted, contacted us last week and said, where the fuck can I find what you talked about with Halloween Havoc? That one was a little hard to find, honestly. You know, and I'm not hard, but it, it wasn't on YouTube, okay? Anything that's not on YouTube, I guess, is hard. This is on fucking YouTube, okay? AEW is just showing you the 20-minute segment of these two's interaction. I'm telling you, when we talk pro wrestling, which we do all the fucking time here on this wonderful show, Dave and I are massive marks. It's part of the cornerstone of our friendship, honestly, is that there's two parts to wrestling that really, in my opinion, matter. There's the in-ring work, which, yeah, of course, the in-ring work should be there. But on top of that, where the match is made and why you fucking care about watching that in-ring work is the promo cutting, is the interview, is the dialogue, is the interaction between performers, okay, when they're speaking with each other and actually setting up a match and understanding a storyline, okay, and that's really where it's made. These two Who are men, these people? Why are they fighting? And why should, why should I care? care? These two people did it better than anyone I've seen do it in so many fucking years that you, even if you're just a casual wrestling fan, you're not a wrestling fan and just put up with our Crackerjack prize at the end of the fucking show, please look this up. Please look this up, okay? It's AEW's official site, and it's probably on other fucking videos anyway, but MJF and CM Punk. Just put any of that shit in the search engine. It's going to pop up right away. You are going to see how a proper, scorching, perfect promo session should be done. AEW did a great job by giving them a full fucking 20 minutes. I mean, that's long for a fucking match on, on television. And it flew by. It flew by. Both of them are doing exceptional work. Not one of them dropped the fucking ball. The crowd reaction is fan-fucking-tastic. It's in Chicago. It's in CM Punk's hometown. They both play their characters perfect, perfect, perfect. And it's awesome watching CM Punk be the vet. Be the vet now. The grizzled vet, okay? Which is how he comes off in this. And he does a great job of being authentic. Just authentic all the way. MJF is doing a wonderful, wonderful Piper-type fucking s character Piper's Pit thing. It is, I mean, I expected bagpipes to hit and fucking plaid to be rolled out. That's, I mean, honestly, when Roddy came back in the WWE and he was doing Piper's Pit, honestly, I think it was a nostalgia act and he caught it every once in a while. It certainly was never anything they used to do back in the mid-late 80s. Not at all. Well, this is a fucking Piper's Pit. This is how it is. And AEW allows a little colorful language. There were some references. I'm not going to spoil it, Dave. There were some references that there are some behind-the-scenes PW Torch talk that Tony Khan was not that happy with. Well, I think it, it made great. the pro- I think the promo cutting was all the better for it. And you want that in pro wrestling. You want fantasy and reality to be blurred, both in the competition physicality and the interview segment, in the dialogue between the two performers. And goddamn, did they do it. Absolutely. And I don't want to say too much more on it, except I will say this uh, for, for people listening who do actually look it up uh, a couple of small things. One, um, how they start on opposite sides of the ring. They're in opposite corners. 
And then as things heat up, they are gradually getting closer and closer and closer until they're nose to nose. It's like a subtle thing. And then also the facial expressions of both of them when the other is talking about when to react, how to react. Sometimes it's really just subtle stuff like Punk will just blink at a particular time that'll just kind of tell you something. And the fact, like another little thing like Punk didn't have a mic in the beginning and then he milked when he went over to the side of the ring to get it and how that crowd ate that moment up before he had even said anything. Like they did so many little things there that is totally missed by so many other performers and so many other shows and so many other promotions that it was so refreshing to see because they nailed so many of the fundamentals so incredibly well that you don't see done anymore. Well, you're absolutely right. It is. It should be... Okay, when Brian Danielson, you know, went against Kenny Omega in that match when he first came back, you know what I mean? Just right. what, a couple, yeah, yeah. couple months ago. Fucking insta-classic. I insta-fucking-classic. And I just went there and go, God damn, I love this man. I love this fucking performer. I fucking love him. And he showcased everything that he's got and what he's bringing to the fucking game. The thing with CM Punk, I haven't seen that in his in-ring work. But to this promo cutting, this is what he's known for. This psychological combating people with speech and the way his presence is and his promo cutting, this is the greatest thing, in my opinion, he's done since coming back. And of course, you need a good dance partner for that too. But both of these men have now brought what I wanted people who don't know, these two performers, to see them do and go, holy shit, are you in for a fucking ride? And for anybody out there who, who scoffs at professional wrestling, like it's not a real art form, that it's not a real thing. You watch these two motherfuckers in that 20-minute segment, and you tell me a fucking Hollywood actor that could do what those two men did. That they, that they are in character. They are method acting that motherfucker. There's no stuttering. There's no missing a beat. There's no fucking script. They know where it's going, but they own that crowd, they own their characters, they own that dialogue, and it's a fucking masterpiece. And both guys came out of it looking even better than they did when they came in. Which is the whole point of this goddamn thing. So last thing uh, before we wrap up for the week, Jason, we didn't open the show with it, so I'll close the show with it. First of all, I just want to ask, how was your Thanksgiving? It was good. Yeah, it was really good. Um, <clears throat> you know, I had some fish, which was really good because a lot of people don't know that when Thanksgiving started, it wasn't about turkey and all that shit. It was uh, a lot of, uh, you know, fish food. It was a, a lot of seafood. So, well, that's I, what I, I heard had. fish it was, was going to get more expensive. I forget where I heard that, though. No, it is. That's why I'm consuming it while I'm rich. And uh, the big question, though, Jason, did, did you did you have any turkey? No. The second big question, Jason, did, did you have any birthday cake? No, I didn't. Happy birthday to you. Don't sing. Happy birthday you, to You're an actor. You're not a singer. Happy birthday Is this like Merman or Donald Duck? Happy birthday on the 25th, the same day that Rocky fought Spider Rico to oh you. Oh, God. What? Thank you very much. I should release that as a single on my Patreon. Mer Daffy Donald Duck. I will tell you this. I really appreciate you remembering Jason Bailey Appreciation Day. You should give thanks for me even 
being on your fucking planet, dozens. Honestly, you really should. That you breathe air at the same time as me, and you get to listen to my genius every fucking week. You're sounding like MJF now. Well, it's, it, but it's true. I'm, I'm not playing a character. I mean it. But I'm telling you for a fact that uh, I had pumpkin pie, which is my favorite. Basically, pumpkin pie is my birthday cake every year. It was fantastic this year, too. But Dave, I hope you, uh, I hope you and your new fiance had a very wonderful Thanksgiving yourself. We did. And I uh, just want to uh, close the show with a very happy belated birthday to uh, Mr. Bailey. No, I did not forget. I was just biding my time, my man. It's migraine okay. or not at my fucking age you almost don't want people to remember so thank you very much i i appreciate it well i mean i i say this as the utmost compliment i mean you you don't look a day older than 50 you want me to stand up show you my body no it's I'm, I'm not uh i'm not uh i'm not sending you money for that i that's well, that's your you know, side that's your side you, hustle <laughs> you've got your patreon i've got my porn hub we both have something so. Well, speaking of side hustles, uh, tonight after we go off the air will be the first time I record an After Dead podcast for uh, people on Patreon. This drops on a Thursday, then After Dead will drop on a Friday. It's the first time I'm doing it. I have a migraine from hell, so it'll be interesting. Um, so anyway, uh, you can find that at uh, Patreon, and it will be on Patreon and Patreon exclusively. That's patreon.com forward slash Dave Beaudry. There'll be writings and other stuff there as well. I shared the other day there uh, for for those interested um, a Rocky Four review that I wrote for a website that is not posted on that website yet. So uh, Patreon's got an advanced advanced look at it, Jason. Very cool, dude. Very cool. Everyone should uh, be doubling down on those Baudry bucks. So I'm all in. All right. Well, happy birthday, brother. Belated. Thank you. I really do appreciate that. Thanks, Dave. All right. And for the dozens and dozens of listeners out there, I am Dave Baudry. And I am still your Jason Bailey. One year older, but still no wiser. And we are one day closer to dead, but that day is not. It will not be today. So until next week. 